It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly opportunity to bring together a panel of award-winning journalists from the East End to talk about the week's headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I am the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 27east.com. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He's the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. So our panelists today are regular uh, Denise Civiletti, who is the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. Hey, how you doing? Another familiar face, Brian Cosgrove, who is the host of the Afternoon Ramble right here on WLIWFM. Hey, Brian. Hey, good to be here. And we welcome a new face today. We're very excited. Chris Ganjemi of the East Hampton Star. Hey, Chris, welcome aboard. Glad to have you. Good morning. Thanks for inviting me. And we're going to shove you right into the spotlight, Chris. Oh. <laughs> we're gonna, we're, we're, I want to talk about your story this week about uh, this is I, I, I think we can't really overstate the significance that uh, there's there's a new Lyme disease vaccine that may be on the horizon um, that that has the potential to be a real game changer. It's been a long time coming. Chris, tell, tell us a little bit about what you found out about this vaccine. Well, so Pfizer is asking, I think they're looking for 6,000 people to enroll in phase three trial for a vaccine, which would, you know, use the same technologies as the vaccine. Some people might remember Limerix from the late nineties was a vaccine that was offered to people. Um, and so it's a similar technology. It attacks like a protein, you know, in the gut of the tick. I don't have all the science down um, or understand exactly how that works, but, um, you know, it, it's interesting, but also potentially problematic because the Lyme, the Limerix vaccine was ultimately pulled um, after a couple of class action lawsuits. And, um, you know, so I thought that was an interesting and that was that was like 20 years ago, right? That was two 20 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are people who I know personally who had taken that and had some um, complications from that. Um, mm. uh, so I spoke with the people in the Tick Resource Center in Southampton. They let me know there were a couple of other options, too, um, that are also on the horizon. So it just sounds like maybe in the next couple of years, there will at least be some form of combating ticks other than just doing a tick check every night. It's fascinating to me because the, the medical community has always struggled even coming up with a way to fight the disease once you have it. I mean, it's, it's, it's been problematic from the beginning and, and so many people, it's also been very controversial. I know we've, we've had some local doctors who had treatment, um, alternative treatments, and ran afoul of the medical community um, with some of those as well. It's just Lyme disease has really been a nagging problem for a quarter century, right? It, it, it's we're not gaining on it all that much. This might be a step in the right direction. Yeah, and well, what's interesting is, you know, Lyme disease is caused by deer ticks or black-legged ticks. Most of the ticks that we experience out here I and mean, i've lived in north haven for 20 years and the state used to have a service where if you you could send ticks away like you got a tick on you you could send it away it would tell you how long it had fed etc 95 percent of the ticks i've ever sent away were not black-legged or deer ticks they were lone star ticks which don't carry lyme disease um so Dr. Dempsey said that he he thinks actually that perhaps the Lyme disease rates are are going down mm. just because there's so many more Lone Star ticks now than deer ticks. And I don't know if maybe 30 years ago we had a higher percentage of deer ticks. I heard anecdotally that Lone Star ticks really only started becoming an issue out here in the early 90s. Um, so it's hard to know, but that actually and the Lone Star ticks are are the one I'm, I'm from your article. They're the ones that are that are are causing the the meat allergy right now, which seems to be a, a big issue. I, I know a lot of people who develop that, and um, 
Um, I, I mean, and that that's really life changing too. I mean, I think that it's not as as severe as as Lyme, obviously, but you know, but it, it affects your diet and 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 all that. Um, I thought it was really interesting that they talked about the um, the one doctor who had, had developed a vaccine that would make um, that that would make a, a tick bite more itchy and and pronounced so that you would know that you had a tick bite so that you could get rid of the tick sooner and and hopefully um, um, you know prevent the transmission of of the disease. I thought that was really I mean that's that's kind of like almost sci-fi stuff to me. I mean, that, you know, that, that, you know, you come up with this, this stuff that if you, so if you get most, most people who get a tick because the, you know, the tick bite is numbing, don't realize that, that they've had a tick bite and the tick bite may feed for, for a couple of days, uh, you know, on, on you. And, and that's when the disease is, is transmitted. I thought that was just really interesting. Yeah. I mean, imagine wanting a bug bite <laughs> to be more injured. <laughs> but that and what's interesting about that too that would be the first vaccine that doesn't actually target a pathogen mm. it just says to you hey you have a you have a bite right now take it off because uh you need the the ticks need to feed on you for over a day i mean right. I, I don't know if they have the exact line that says hey if it's on you for 24 hours or 28 hours but it does seem to be at least a day. So if you could take any tick off of you within that time period, you would be reducing your chances of getting sick. You know, what's interesting, Chris um, and Bill, I, I know we have a story that's pending. Um, it, it's ironic because it's, it's on a similar topic. Uh, we, uh, we decided to hold it for a week. Um, it was originally planned to go in, in this past issue as well, but um, the experts are saying now that that, and I think this alludes to some of the, some of what you reported that the the incidence of Lyme disease is coming from the black legged ticks, but because of the Lone Star ticks, there's another disease that's at play, right, Bill? It's it's um, it, there's a concern that that this other disease um, that is similar to Lyme disease but not the same thing is right. rising in prevalence. Right, very similar symptoms. I don't have it right in in front of me, but. But yeah, it's it's hard. It's almost difficult to distinguish between um, between Lyme and 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 this, this other new disease. Um, but doctors are feeling like that it's becoming more and and, and more prevalent. It's just you're talking yeah. about Starry, maybe. I, Starry, yeah, exactly yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. so Starry, yeah, that is um, that's transmitted by lone star ticks. The thing that's confusing to doctors is the rash is right. similar to the Lyme rash. Um, but there's, it's, uh, it's not a chronic, uh, situation and, uh, I think it's fairly easily treated. I, I spoke to, I wrote an article about that maybe a month ago. Um, the, the, the problem, well, not the problem. The good thing is, is if you have a rash that's circular, no doctor is going to say, uh, let's let this slide. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, they're, they're gonna they're gonna treat you anyway, and I, with um, you know probably with antibiotics, and that would knock knock out Starry, I think fairly easily. Yeah, we and as you alluded to, Bill, you've got alpha gal. There's babesiosis, right. which I know is 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 another disease. That's, this this is um, largely a problem in our region, but I think it's growing. I, I think the the incidence of tick borne illnesses is spreading farther and farther sure. south and west, I believe, too. It's becoming a bigger problem. So, you know, of of all the, the vaccines and diseases we have to worry about, this is certainly another one that, that's on the, on our list. I, I have to say I've been lucky. I don't I don't, I don't I, to my knowledge, I, I've never had a, a tick bite. But but I, I think you can't. You know, you can't throw a stone around here without, you know, hitting three people who who have and, and have had, you know, some of these serious uh, repercussions from them. My, um, I, lucky again, my dogs don't usually, you know, get them. But I've noticed, um, you know, this this summer, um, a, a few, you know, ticks on the dogs, just meaning that I, I think anecdotally that that maybe the number of of ticks is 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 up. 
Brian, you're out, you're out and around a lot. Have you have you had tech issues? I mean, have you gotten um, fights or I'm out and about a lot? Yeah, <laughs> I've, I, seen, I wanna, I've seen you. I've seen you driving by, Brian. I don't want to cause any editing in this. So, um, yeah, yeah, Bill. Um, yeah, I do get out and about a lot, and uh, thankfully, I have no. <laughs> Remember who no, you're I, talking to here. Here, Brian, you know, we, this is the benefits of a sedentary lifestyle is we don't have to worry exactly. too much about tick-borne tick illnesses. <laughs> uh, I've, had Lyme, I've had Lyme three times. And I don't oh, know there we go. Oh, no. There we but, go. But like, you know, we where we live, our property, unfortunately, uh, wasn't our doing, but has like a lot of um, ivy planted all around the perimeters. We have some woods and then we have a big farm field behind us mm. so you know and there's lots of deer there all the time so we you know you basically you really if you spend any time in our yard um <laughs> you have to mm. spread yourself or you know just be really careful about looking uh, you know and we have ticks on us all the time that we i think fortunately fine quickly um but um our pets also i have to put that stuff on them to, you know that you put on their backs to um because they bring them in you know, yeah, and then yeah. Um, th this would kill you, Joe, I think. But like, you know, we can't let the cat on our bed where mm. of course likes to cuddle up, you know, because she's always bringing things in and, you know, and the yeah. ticks sometimes come in with them, even though they have that medicine on them. So it's, I a, it's a hassle. And I, yeah, know. I do. You know, it's come to think about it between mowing my lawn and taking an occasional walk. Bill, you are correct. <laughs> I do get out. <laughs> No, it's true. And I do when I take a shower after I mow the lawn or take a walk, yeah. I, you know, do a once over. Yeah, absolutely. They have to. And Chris, Chris, the, the other thing is um, the black legged ticks tend to try and attach to you when you pass by them. But uh, I believe Lone Star ticks are a lot more aggressive, right? They they yeah. they will seek you out. I, I mean, they're they're much more aggressive at trying to to get on your body. Yeah, you have to um, actively black legged ticks, you know, walk up the stalk of grass generally or something like that. You actually have to walk by them and they'll attach as you do that. I mean, Lone Star ticks will do that, too, but they will also they're much faster. They have longer legs. Mm -hmm. And because they're faster, if you're just, say, standing in a pile of leaves or near a pile of leaves, they will find you. They're creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they uh they smell or sense the um the carbon carbon dioxide carbon dioxide yeah your breath or whatever yeah i think we talked to um one one um exterminator once a guy that sprays for ticks and and he was saying that in years past that you know he could just spray the edges of of a, of a yard or a lawn or or whatever but now um, you know, because the, uh, you know, the black ticks are so mobile that he's got to spray like the entire people's entire lawns or whatever. And well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because another aspect of this is irrigation. Yeah. Um, we, we're, we're in a severe drought and a lot of these ticks would die because they are very susceptible to drying out. They need very high humidity levels uh, to survive, which is why they'll hang out in leaf piles and and but when people are irrigating their lawns as they do then they're creating a place for these ticks to continue to live when they should be dying mm. chris a lyme disease vaccine would really be a game changer though wouldn't it i mean we as we've we've mentioned there's a lot of other diseases that are tick-borne that we need to worry about but um having a vaccine finally for lyme disease really really could be a significant um, health healthcare a step with healthcare in the region, right? Yeah, I think it would. I would. I think it would help with anxiety levels for certain. Um, I think it's the, everybody knows that if you if you mow your lawn, like Brian said, you 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 step into the the woods at all, you you have a certain level of anxiety attached with that, which is a shame. It would be nice if if you didn't have to think about it as much and you could enjoy you know yeah. i don't, I used to I don't wonder look. why the um why landscapers in like 90 degree heat were wearing long sleeve t-shirts yeah. and bandanas or you know 
And then someone pointed out they're doing that because of ticks. They're not doing that for any other reason. You know? mm. mm-hmm. I don't look for stray golf balls anymore. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's cost, it's cost, and that's cost me a lot of money. Oh, oh, the humanity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's the tragedy of how, how the ticks are affecting us, I guess. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Brian Cosgrove of right here at WLIWFM, and Chris Gangemi, who is with the East Hampton Star. And uh, I did want to talk about uh, the powwow. Brian, you mentioned this. The, the uh, Shinnecock yeah. Nation powwow returns this weekend. Uh, and it's the first time it's been public in a couple of years because of the uh, because of the pandemic. The 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 nation is very excited about this, and we we interviewed some folks uh, in the nation this week who who said that the excitement level is very high for this. This is a big deal, not just for the Shinnecock Nation, but for this this entire community, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Anyway, especially since it was uh, canceled for two years and. Uh, so it goes through Monday, as a lot of folks know, and um, it you can you can go you can simply go to ShinnecockIndianPowwow.com and you can get you know there's the website and all the information. The grounds open each day um, today, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday at uh, 10 a.m. I think it's a great thing. I've only been once, and I and it was great. Not only be, you know because I really love their jewelry and their customs and the dances and everything and the food, but it's really a good time. And, you know, after two years of an event, Joe, like you said, that it's a big deal for their finances, the powwow, you know, um, that it's back. I think it's a good thing. And, you know, like some of you guys who uh, maybe Joe and Bill, you know, I pass the uh, reservation every day. I, you know, I take Hill Street to the station and then back every day, you know, and I often think about, uh, you know, they're they're starting to clear a lot of the uh, the lots in between the smoke shops and uh, the development is really starting to take a turn along Hill Street on uh, on the south side. And, you know, um, sometimes, I, you know, my heart really goes out to the frustration of, you know, the Shinnecock tribe of what they've had to deal with, you know, and the heritage. And because they really are a beautiful people, they've got beautiful customs. This is a wonderful event. I mean, I remember when I came out here in 97 hearing about it. Um, that it was such a big deal, and um, and it is a big deal, and it's uh, it's great that it's back. So, um, ShinnecockIndianPowwow.com. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I mean, for for years and years, I, I think the powwow was the only economic driver mm-hmm. for you know for right. for the nation, um, which is really sad and un- unfortunate. And I think they've. You know, in recent years, and we've talked a lot about it on the show, they've come up with a bunch of different ways now to, um, you know, to, to help drive their their economy better. Um, but, you know, I, I think this is still most likely for, for a lot of people on, on the territory, um, a big economic driver that helps, um, you know, get them through the year, you know, through, you know, through, through the concession stands and, you know, and, um, um, you know, selling memorabilia and, and and that type of thing but but more than that i think it's a, it's really a celebration and and we talked to um to to lance gums who's co-chairman of the powwow committee this year and he, he had a great quote in the story he said um you know he was talking about it, it coming back to being you know the first open to the public powwow in a couple of years and he says at the end of the day i can't even begin to describe it it's just like people wait for christmas or their birthday Native yeah. Americans wait for the powwow. And I thought that was mm. really strong and powerful. That it's just this big celebration of, of their culture. And I think, um, you know, I've, I've been there a few times and I think that's always my big takeaway is you go there and, and, and you see them, you, you see people in their, the regalia, you see the dances and, and the entrance and, and all that. And it's just really about, about that culture. Um, you know, and, and that celebration. It's it's such a spiritual event. It really yeah. is. for for the 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 nation itself. And the but Brian, I think you really hit on it. it it's a combination. It's a spiritual event. It's a community event. It's yeah. a celebration. It's a chance to bring together um, tribes from all over the, the nation mm-hmm. come in uh, to participate in the powwow. But it is 
an economic driver oh, for the tribe. And, too. and not, not just, you know, bringing in other other tribes, but it, it's it's bringing in people in, in the community and, and the mixing of, um, you know, of multiple cultures. And, and, you know, here, take a look at this is this is what we've been doing for you know, for millennial and, you know, and, and all that, but everybody coming together in the community, I think it's a big celebration for everybody, every, every Labor Day weekend. Do you um, know, do you know if, um, um, I guess maybe Bill and Joe might, Denise might, Chris might, did they ever try to come up with another annual event? Because I was, I was all, I often thought, you know, I mean, the powwow on Labor Day, but I, I, often, I often thought, why don't they do another annual event, maybe in the spring or, you know what I mean? I, I you know what would be interesting, uh, an event in the spring or summer that's aimed just at the local community. I think the whole thing about the powwow is that it is about a gathering of the tribes. And I right. think that that right. is a huge undertaking that probably is a once a year, if you're lucky, you know, I right. think it's probably a a difficult thing, but yeah, and they do so, have. I know they have festivals from time to time uh, where they invite people. And and the other thing is they they have some other great activities like uh, Shanae Bullock, who, by the way, you know, we've been talking about the development that's going on along Montauk Highway and that that site that is hmm. for the uh, the cultivation of cannabis and and the uh, distribution facility that's going up there. That's what the clearing is about. Right. But Shanae also leads. Um, paddles uh, around, uh, you know, and I think there's a there's a couple of people. I think Shane Weeks also does that as well, um, where people can can go out and they'll take them on a paddle um, around um, the the territory and and talk mm -hmm. about the nation. So there's, right. uh, you know, I think there's opportunities for that kind of interaction, and and it's I think it's a really healthy thing for sure. Yeah. Um, the powwow this year, you know, it's nice. It's a Labor Day tradition, too. And, mm -hmm. and um, having it back is going to be just good for the general local economy, too, I think. And, and it's been quite a summer, I think, generally for everybody. The, the, the conversations we've had with business owners is that it was a pretty strong summer. Chris, has that been the case? Uh, what, what's your take on what you've seen out your way? And Denise, what have you seen up your way? What, uh, Chris, what is, has it been a pretty fruitful summer in, in East Hampton? Well, frankly, I live in Sag Harbor. I, I uh -huh. store, but, uh, I can tell you to drive from Sag Harbor <laughs> to East Hampton <laughs> is difficult. Um, I, personally tend to get into Sag Harbor before 8am and to get out. And then I, you know, because there's so many people, I can't imagine that it's been a bad summer for business. Yeah. The, the traffic, the traffic has been unparalleled this summer. Yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, if that's an indicator and I know, um, you know, the Sag Harbor, um, you know, all, all of the boat slips have been, you know, reserved. I, I think that's a really strong indication too, that there's just lots of, uh, economic activity. I think one of the limiting factors has been staffing, though, at a lot of the, a lot of the restaurants and, and, and other facilities. I know that I know of uh, several places that had to close a day or two a week simply because they don't have the staff to support us. I mean, they could certainly serve seven days a week. I know a, I know one local deli, a uh, very popular local deli um, I did Scotto's in Hampton Bays and I spoke with Simone Scotto and he said, you know, they, I believe they close Tuesdays and Wednesdays now. Um, and he said, it's not because we don't have the business. We certainly have the business. We just cannot staff uh, for seven days a week. Um, I think that's been a real problem. Denise, what's it, has it been a, a good summer up your way and on the North Fork? I, I, I certainly think that it has, Joe. Um, it's been extremely busy. Again, judge, judge, judging by the traffic. Uh, on the um, and I think that the local business people here are experiencing the same kinds of things everywhere you go. When you talk to people, they are talking about staff shortages that, you know, they don't have. Uh, I was in a restaurant the other day where the server was saying how, you know, some days she's there and she was that day. It was lunchtime all by herself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I joked to her, I said, are you cooking too? She said, I feel like I might as well be, you know, she's busting <laughs> the table, she's running the food, she's taking the orders, she was tending bar. I mean, 
and and you know that's un, untenable really um now the interesting thing is that as busy as summer can be here uh in riverhead and on the north fork um you know we're coming into our high season now because right. fall is when things really get cranking around here um and uh we'll see we'll see how that shakes out because everything picks up at all the wineries and you know of course the various uh you pick farm stands and farms and things so um you know they're they're those places are also facing the same personnel shortages um and uh you know i i don't i don't know how, how they're going to deal with it this year so we'll see yeah I've been up here right off the, off the main road for about five years now. This year, I've noticed an increase in traffic during the summer months. No question yep. about that. And also, I've noticed that uh, I know one business is starting this weekend, and they have a big sign. They've had a big sign up for about a week now saying, you know, we're going to start with the fall type of apple type of festivities, one of the farm stands this weekend, which is usually a little premature. Usually, Wow, that's early. Uh, yeah, Labor Day weekend, big sign. We're going to be open, and yeah. so they're they're getting they're getting ahead of it. They're, they're getting they're, out ahead of it, you know. You're gearing up. Yeah, might might be a little early to get your pumpkins for Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> one more. Yeah, my butt. You know. Yeah, Although the Halloween candy out. is the Halloween candy is out everywhere. I noticed I they're really that. pushing the seasons. Yeah, amazing stuff. Uh, it's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. With us today, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Brian Cosgrove from WLIW, and Chris Gangemi from the East Hampton Star. Denise, um, one of the things we like to do on this show is offer a little behind the scenes to folks about what it's like to cover the local community as journalists. Um, one of the big things that we do is cover school districts. And uh, it's important to our readers. Our readers want to know what's gone on, going on in school districts. And uh, part of what we do is to, to try and get as much information as we can from school districts. How's that going up your way? Uh, probably the same way it's going up your way. Um, and and it's, it seems to be sort of, honestly, a, a universal thing. And um, I don't, uh, it's, it's not easy to get information um, from school districts beyond the, um, you know, the press releases about all of the wonderful things that they're doing, <laughs> which not to diminish the wonderful things that are happening, but there's, there's more than, there's more than that to reporting local news. And there has to be um, for obvious reasons, not the least of which is, you know, the fact that, the school budgets represent roughly two thirds of everyone's tax bill. Um, and they are, you know, I mean, Riverhead's budget this year is uh, $170 million. Um, so somebody made an appropriate snort there. I don't know. <laughs> that was me because I'm paying part of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's, that's, that's a lot of money. It dwarfs the town budget. And I think, I don't know about your way, but here we have historically paid far more attention and given far more scrutiny to what happens in town hall than what happens in the high school auditoriums and um you know uh people on the other side of that line the people on those boards who are elected officials too i mean they're they they like it that way and I was examining my own approach to this over the years. And, um, you know, I think that in some respects, we've kind of cut them a lot of slack, speaking, mm. you know, for myself and, you know, other news organizations that I've been involved in here. We really have. And I think in uh, looking at my own attitude toward them, it's kind of like, you know, well, the boards are volunteers, you know. They're not like the local elected officials in town hall in that they don't collect a salary and a, they're not paid a pension and yeah. health benefits and you know annuities and the other things that come along with being a local elected official these days. But um but you know, but, you so, know, but, but you know that's well there's a big that, book bill. That, that, well that's true, but but yeah. the administrators are 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 not they are not volunteers and and in a, and in a big way and and they make huge 
salaries and a lot yeah. of the districts have multiple administrators that are that are making you know um 200 grand 300 grand a year and i think they, I, I, they trust me i'm, I'm not i'm not justifying this uh no. laxity <laughs> on uh, yeah part. no yeah no it's just like I, I was examining why this is the case like why when it's such a large government entity controlling so much of uh so much tax money why we haven't really been um been more uh like approached it with more investigative uh approach with it yeah i think you're, and i think you're right i think we have a tendency to pull punches a little bit because school boards are a little different from other elected boards but but there's been a troubling trend yeah over the last couple of years where where and i i don't want to take anything away from the pr companies that the the school mm -hmm. districts hire i get it I think it's, you know, it's fine for school districts to use PR companies to get positive stuff out. But you're you're starting to see up your way now that the PR companies are the only people who will talk to you. Right. That's that's well, and we've that, seen that function of the administration, really. I mean, let's you know, don't put that on the PR companies are doing what they're hired to do. Um, and um, they do, you know, depending on the company, some do better jobs than others. Um, well, not for nothing. The, the a lot, some of the PR companies, and 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 some of them are very easy to work with, and and some less. Okay. But they do have a vested interest in 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 kind of controlling that pipeline. Of that, course, that, that they they want to be the ones offering the information so that they can show that they're doing their jobs when it comes time for their contract renewal every year. And I not to besmirch anybody. I mean, well, like, you know, they're, they're doing they're their jobs, job, but. But, their job is to make the, their client look good. Let's face right. it. I mean, that's their job. And certainly that's not my job. That's not your job. Like, I, no. you know, our job is to uh, not to be, you know, seek truth and report it. Right. I mean, you know, that's number one, because if that doesn't if you don't do that, you've you got nothing else. And, you know, that's our duty to the public. And I know, you know, all of us here take that very seriously. And, um, you know, when you do that, you find that you are um, uh, punished sometimes or they, people think they're punishing you. Um, you are called out. I mean, we've had in the last few months, uh, you know, a board member call us out for, you know, painting, the, you know, being unfair to the district, painting the district in a negative light. Another board member who said, when this made me laugh, you know, we're on the, uh, you know, the official media of, of the school district. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means other than they let people know that they can find out like about school closings and right. public notices and stuff, because since we're not a newspaper, state law requires you to be a newspaper. We can't get we can't get paid for public notices. But I have I have someone on our staff who I pay to do the public notices to do, you know, that all of that stuff and and you know so people can find it and access it online and it's free and accessible but you know i i'm not i don't know if you know a certain town supervisor punished us by not making us like an official publication of the town and i was like well you know i'm still putting up the same notices so i don't know what your problem is but you know but in any event like you get regularly called out um the the phrase fake news has been bandied about here and there mm. and um you know honestly we have not had uh requests for re corrections or retractions or any of these sort of controversial stories that have bruised the egos of the uh, elected um school board members and apparently the uh, superintendent who's uh came to riverhead about a year ago but you know we are now it seems being systematic systematically sort of frozen out to the point where you know the superintendent this week kind of hustled away from our reporter alec lewis after a school board meeting when he went to ask for clarification which i should point out is absolutely necessary at the end of every school board meeting because there is very little public discussion about what they're voting on like obviously they're having these conversations somewhere else or out of the public eye um, or they are just voting blind on things because, they, you know, they don't, never hash things out or almost never hash things out in a public forum. And so, you know, you have to ask questions at the end. And what he got at, this, at the end of this last school board meeting was, 
um, I, I'll only talk to you through our PR firm as he sort of this as he sort of just like hustled away, you know. And that's not an isolated it's thing. Not. I think we've been running yeah. into that more and more with, with, with school districts. A bunch of a bunch of school districts. Yeah, so. that that they seem to rely on the PR firms to do their talking. But the argument I would make, and we have made to school districts is the PR firms are not the people making the decisions. And we need to be able to talk to the administrators and the school board members to, to talk about why these things are happening. Chris, there are exceptions. Sag Harbor, you live in Sag Harbor. Mm -hmm. And I think Sag Harbor has been one school district that's been pretty good about um, communicating and, and they regularly engage with the public and mm -hmm. public meetings and stuff. But um, I don't know how much reporting you're doing with school districts with the star, but I don't know if you're seeing, I see that we see this across the board though, that it's getting harder and harder to, to get to um, some officials. They just sort of freeze us out and, and think that that's okay. Uh, well, Chrissy Sampson is the uh, education reporter with the star. So that's not really my territory, but I wonder if, you know, in the last just couple of years, um, if this is a consequence of all at all of all the, you know, the school boards have changed and have had to deal with so much garbage from people um, with the COVID stuff. And I wonder if this is kind of like a layer of protection that is, you know, has something to do with that. That's just a. It's, it's contributing, but I think Denise, it started before it, that. It started it? here before that. Mm -hmm. yeah. We saw a distinct change with the arrival of the superintendent before the current superintendent, who was the first superintendent um, since we had things called cell phones, who wouldn't give you the cell phone number. I, I, you know, I used to call and talk to and text with pre prior superintendents. I mean, first, so that people know, okay, like a lot of officials town officials, school officials, they want you to interview them by email, yeah. whether there's a whether there's a PR firm involved or not. And that's fundamentally bad practice. You know, I mean, sometimes it's necessary, but it's that should not be generally how you email an, a public official. I mean, how you, how you interview a public official, because you need to be able to ask follow up questions. You need to be able to obtain spontaneous answers or as far as I'm concerned, it's not a real interview. You know, well, I mean, yep. how, how do you know, you know, who's writing that email either? Is it, a, is it is it the person you're communicating with? It is a committee of, of people. And and then, you, you know, and that's OK if everybody wants to get together and formulate the district's response and and, and all that. But it's just disingenuous if we report that as coming from from one person and, and you don't know. Um, where it's coming from. where it where it's coming from absolutely so I mean, I mean that's for starters and that's you know so they like that and now the emails and this began with the in that riverhead school district with the prior superintendent you know you put send me an email send your question in an email period like no conversation and um you know then you'd get the answer back not even from the superintendent but from <laughs> their PR firm, or right. let's say in the case of our congressperson uh, from their public information officer, or this in is the, the, the county executive, only from the public information officer. This is the problem I have with it. And I think you're right yeah. about county officials and Lee yeah. Zeldin's office, yeah. um, the congressman who in the last, I would say it's been, well, I would say it's been more or less since the beginning of 2021. Uh, has completely frozen out most of the local media. And the problem I have with the idea of submitting written questions is exactly what you and Bill have just said, which is you don't know who, you're not getting an answer from that person necessarily. And we have, that's trickling down even to the local level where we have mayors who are saying, send me your, your questions in an email well, I don't know who's answering those questions then. And I want the mayor to answer those questions because I want to hear what the mayor has to say. I don't want to hear some sanitized response from an attorney or a PR firm. And, and, and really, Denise, you hit on it early in the conversation. People have to demand this because it matters. And it, even down to the school board level, this is your tax bill 
that we're talking about. And, yeah. and if we can't get those answers, the stakes are high for, for taxpayers, but it, ultimately it's going to be up to taxpayers to, gonna, to demand I'm gonna, that. I'm going to betray my own like innate cynicism here after, you know, after many years, I, 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 I admit to it. I'm cynical, but really, yeah. <laughs> How can you not be in this business, right? I mean, it's like, I don't know. But, but you know, when you ask a question, the chances are pretty good that the person responding is going to try to um, massage the answer, to uh, paint it in the best possible light. Deflect, deflect a little bit. Deflect a little, you know, spin it. Okay. They're not going to want to answer it uh, a lot of times. And that's what they do. And so... If you don't have an opportunity to jump right in and and say, no, but wait, that's not what I asked. What I asked is, and to ask a follow-up question, because sometimes you get information that presents that, you know, more questions arise from the information that you get than you had when you made the phone call, right? Yeah. So if you cannot do that, you can't really do a, an adequate job. Of, well, you know, especially for, for you, Denise, I mean, because you've just got much tighter deadlines, you know, being, you know, posting, posting a lot of, you know, daily stories right away. And, you know, um, you know, some of us with, with the weekly papers, we might have a couple of days to, you know, to kind of work around and to follow up and, and all that, but you need the answers right away on, on your well, You know, I mean, some things are, and, and you do the same, like when things are kind of breaking news, you know, right. you sure. need to publish a story and, you know, you're not going to wait, you know, till the end of the week or whatever. And I, you know, we understand people are busy. Like they're they're not spending their days waiting around for a local reporter to call up and ask questions. We get that. We're not unreasonable about it. But, you know, when we want to know, you know, how come a $400,000 contract was given to this company without any discussion, without any disclosure even of what this contract was about. And we had to, you know, and then when we find out what it's about, we want to ask about that that person's connection to a certain official. Um, you know, we want to be able to ask that official, uh, ask those questions. And it, by them preventing, they're controlling the news, which is their objective. They're controlling the information the public gets and the, the taxpayers get. And yeah, it might make them look better, and it might be more positive and happy, but it's really not factual and it's not doing, we're not doing our duty, but by accepting that. And so I don't know about you, but like, I'm, you know, I am making sure that every single time there's a response by an email that we say, you know, could not be reached for an interview, but yeah. responded, you know, to this inquiry in an email and said, Etc. And yeah, we're statement. just going to start doing editorials, pointing it out every single time. Like you know, they they won't answer us. Like I, you know, we have to if, submit this in writing because we've had an internal that, you know we've had an internal debate about whether you should even quote mm. a quote that's been provided by someone. Like if we ask for Lee Zeldin's response to something and it's provided to us as a written statement, if that's really a quote, because we don't know yeah. that Lee Zeldin had anything to do anything with writing. Do, and chances are, that. you know, not. And I, th I think it's a little misleading for reporters. You know, I should mention in passing here, this sort of touches on something that Denise, both uh, your publication and ours wrote about this past week, which was the, the sort of fiasco that happened in Southampton with the Hampton Bays downtown overlay district and the contract that brought a PR firm in and the PR firm in the contract basically said they were going to neutralize opposition, which I, I think demonstrates that there's a disconnect and it's, and it's never been more clearly spelled out than in that instance, but that, that town officials and, and other, other elected officials, what the purpose of public input is supposed to be. It's, it's supposed to be part of the process that's legitimately part of the process and not just something you get passed to get something done. Uh, and that, um, while there was a lot of red face uh, town officials over that particular situation, I think it was revealing because I think that's, that's the, it's devolved into a lot of that kind of thinking now in, in town halls and in school boards, even down to school boards, I think it's an issue. I, I, I agree. I agree with you, Joe. And yeah. uh, something that we really need to, I, you know, I mean, we have no choice but to really underscore these things when they happen. And again, you know, 
you don't make any friends by doing that. And, you know, we're not in this to make friends. We're in it to do what we're supposed to do. And, um, you know, whatever comes our way because of that, I know you share this point of view, you know, so be it. Like, you know, that's just how it goes. And, you know, we just do everything that we can to make sure that the public gets the information that they need to make rational decisions in the voting booth and and to understand what's going on and to make sure, quite frankly, that things are above board and that money is spent according to the law. Hmm. And I'll say uh, this, this, this region, this region's readers are plugged in in a way that that um, isn't necessarily true in a lot of other communities. And so they're keeping an eye on it. I think they appreciate when we do our watchdog duties and uh, and do that digging. So it it matters to them. Uh, This is Behind Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're the Express News Group. Our panelists today, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Brian Cosgrove of WLIWFM, and Chris Kanjemi of the East Hampton Star. Denise, uh, I want to talk briefly about uh, just the end of the week here. There was a there was a fire up your way, uh, a mulch fire, and that is has the potential. And Chris, you know, we were we were talking uh, um, before we came on fires like that at this time of year are a little worrisome considering the drought conditions and everything, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, we are now, uh, the U S drought monitor has all of Suffolk County, I believe in a severe drought. Uh, I think there's maybe rain forecast for early in the week. Maybe it's like a 50% chance, but, um, it's a tinderbox out there. Mm-hmm. And and Denise, obviously, at a mulch site, it's more or less contained. But this is an ongoing problem with these facilities, right? It sure is. I mean, and when you, it's it's, it's logical, really, when you think about it, the, the heat that uh, collects inside a mulch pile. I mean, it, you know, if you've ever done any composting in your backyard or anything, you know what that can be like. So you know, multiply that by a thousand. Um, you know, these piles are twenty, thirty feet high. Uh, fire trucks have to come, you know, they have to bring them sometimes the, and they multiple. Um, so this fire on Friday morning had, um, it was in Calverton and it had um, about a dozen um, area fire departments from all over wow. respond to it, in, you know, to, to help Riverhead. Um, and they came with tankers. They came with um, ladder trucks so that they can get up there because these, these piles are 20, 30 feet high. And the heat that just is generated inside them um, mm. is immense. And, uh, you know, with everything being as dry as it is, it was, well, you know, and, and it really hot, right? it was, I mean, it's the hottest, hottest August, uh, one of the hottest August in, in, in history. I mean, with whether you, you know, want to call that uh, climate change or, or whatever, it just was so hot and dry. It's just and it's natural dry. that these things just get sparked. The, yeah. This is why these facilities get a lot of attention, right? Uh, the 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 towns are taking a closer look at them. They're trying to regulate them a little more regular, you know, a little more uh, uh, a little more strongly. Um, has that been the case in Riverhead with this particular? Well, I mean, according to um, the state DEC uh, records, now the, the state DEC is what permits um, the facilities like that. They are technically solid waste management facilities, and um, they have to have a solid waste management permit from the state DEC to be able to um, process waste like that. And the DEC is pretty favorable when it comes to these facilities, both in Riverhead and 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 down you know down our way as well. They seem to they they like the sand mines and they like these facilities. They do, and and so this um, this particular person um, is a, uh, has an excavation company and has um, a mine, uh, a sand mine in, in another place, in, in another part of Calverton, uh, bought this property in 2012 and um, it's a 42 acre site, came to the town and said, you know, yeah, I, I have an excavation company and I, you know, and I do this mining and stuff, but um, we're, we want to farm this land. And in order to farm it, it was a farm previous, by the way, uh, for many, many, many years. But in order to farm this land, we need to make it more level. 
And so we need to remove 415,000 cubic yards of sand from this mm -hmm. site in order to farm it. And, 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 sell, and sell the sand, right? Well, first they said they told the town that they were going to use their this sand on another farm or site that they owned somewhere in another town. And then later on, it surfaced that their application to, I think, to the DEC said that they were going to sell it. Yeah. So I don't know. But in any event, they filed an application for for this facility and then um, with for this kind of a facility and then with uh, for the excavation. And which what I what I neglected to say just now. Oh, I'm so sorry. What I neglected to say just now is that um, they uh, asked the town to waive. They asked for an agricultural waiver to uh, be exempt from the two dollar per cubic yard um, yeah. excavation exportation fee. So uh, it just shows the sort of machinations. Yeah. And, that and the town, the town said no, like the town wouldn't go along with that. And then. You know, their permit application expired. The other, they filed another application that was incomplete. And so, according to the DEC website, as of this morning, I have not had an opportunity yet to call the DEC public information officer to find out. But um, they they don't have any permits. So, I mean, I think that's important. Um, I'm glad you're staying on that story. That's an important one. How is this going on without the town, you know? knowing about it and doing something about it what a, so, what a, what a minefield so, yeah absolutely so we're, we're almost out of time but i, right. I want to i want to give brian we got about a minute left or a little over a minute brian and i want to give you a chance to to talk a little bit about steve Hawili, who who passed away this week and he was a good friend of yours and part of part of the 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 local um journalism community as a pr person tell us a little bit about steve Hawili. Yeah, um, he started, a lot of folks may know, he started Word Hampton, I think back in the early 90s. Prior to that, um, he was in the service industry in the restaurant business. He brought uh, Restaurant Week out to the East End and to Long Island. And um, he was just one of my favorite people. I mean, he was just a great guy. He lived up in Springs, uh, like a lot of us. He loved it out here. Uh, he loved taking uh, swims at Maidstone Beach. And he was just an extraordinary guy. He was he was the real deal. He did things, I think, for the right reason. He was very involved with the Springs Food Pantry. And um, and he just loved uh, Long Island, the East End. He loved the restaurant business. I guess you'd consider him a foodie. And um, I just thought he was an extraordinary human. And um, and you can, and please double check. But I'm 99 percent sure that this Thursday, the 8th, there will be at Yardley Pino in East Hampton from seven to nine in the evening. And then Friday, the 9th at 11 a.m., a service at St. Luke's in East Hampton for Steve Huili. There's really been an upswelling of, of grief and, and mourning of, of Steve. He was very well thought of all over oh, the East End, yeah. though. Um, our condolences to his friends and family. Um, that is all we have time for this week uh, on Behind the Headlines. I want to thank all of our panelists this week, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, uh, Brian Cosgrove from WLIW-FM. Thanks for sharing the airwaves with us here uh, this week. And Chris Ganjemi, thank you so much, Chris. We'll have you back real soon from the East Hampton Star. Thanks. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you to Bill Sutton, my co-host, as always. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Joe. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us and the viewers watching us on local TV. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. This was Behind the Headlines. We'll see you again next week.